You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Welcome to Before They Were Live, an ongoing, monthly, and extremely nerdy conversation through the ocean of the Disney animated canon in chronological order, playing our part in a healthy ecosystem between art, criticism, and fandom, paying attention to the way these films have shaped our imaginations. Hopefully along the way, we enrich the viewing experience, have some fun too. Today, we're sailing past the barrier reef and facing the unforgiving sea and waves like mountains of the 56th film in the canon. 2016's Moana, the seventh in the septology of John Musker and Ron Clements' films. Great Mouse Detective was their first. It came out in 86. Moana came out in 2016. That's 30 years of filmmaking with Disney. What can they say except you're welcome? Sometimes our strengths lie beneath the surface, far beneath in some cases, but I'm sure there's more to Michael than meets the eye. Hey, Michael. <laughs> Hi, Josh. I was going to say you're welcome, but you already scooped me on that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you can still say it. Well, multiple people can say you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of good things to uh, say about this movie. Oh, um, yeah. I, did, I didn't want to pack our, our, uh, my introduction monologue too long, so I, I kind of just left it that. But, uh, yeah, there's a... There's, uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of fun and joy in this movie. I really uh, my my kids love it, so I've seen it several times. Um, and yeah, it's it's one of those uh, the, the the modern classics, I guess. You know. Yeah, I would I would definitely call it a modern classic and kind of an original story, right? I mean, it's based on Polynesian mythology about which I know nothing, but it's not yeah. based on it the way that some of the '90s fairy tale movies are based on, you know. Very right. Nice. Yeah. Well, to use, um, uh, yeah, uh, since this is a, a, a Musker Clements, uh, jam here, uh, I would say it's, it's maybe similar to like Hercules, which was another one of theirs. Yeah. I, I think that's a, it's a much better movie than Hercules. We should, we should get that down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, right I would say this is, I don't know. I go, I was, I was waffling on this. I don't know if we want to uh, try and try and rank the Musker and Clements films, but I, as far as just the, the emotional depth, I think this is probably their, their deepest movie of, of their seven. Um, so, so I, I they, don't know if that did. necessarily makes it their best, but it's, it's, uh, it's good. So they did the great mouse detective, the little mermaid, Aladdin, Hercules, treasure planet, the princess and the frog, and then this, and then they have another one coming out, I think. Yeah, but for Warner Brothers. Oh, isn't that so? Big? Anyway, so so the 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 two that could really give this a run for the money, right, are Aladdin and The Little Mermaid. Yes, and 
I think it's a better movie than Aladdin on the face of it. I, I don't I don't think that's close. The Little Mermaid. I have so many like ethical problems with that we've talked about. Like I, I, think <laughs> I, have, I like the, the Little Mermaid is a problem for me right. in a way that Moana like it, it carries some of the beats of the Little Mermaid, but it's a much like it's a much more moral movie in my opinion than the Little Mermaid, and and it's a much more complex in terms of what it's doing ethically than the Little Mermaid is. So yeah, I, I think this probably is their best. I think I would put this above the Little Mermaid. Yeah. So they end on they end on their high note. They end, you know they go out strong. I don't know how I feel about them making a movie for uh, for Warner Brothers. You know, like just because they're, I mean it's it's a weird thing. Like it's not like I really have uh, like obviously I'm a Disney fan. I mean that's that's pretty clear <laughs> at this point. Right. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I'm like anti other studios. So like good for good for them. You know, but it's just it's just kind of weird. You know, like I was I was like is that kind of like I don't know, like Jordan joining the Wizards or something, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I just don't quite know how to feel about it. But I'll Yeah, watch. I, 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 I don't know anything about this movie other than it appears to be called Metal Men. Yeah, yeah, that's all I know about it, too. The last time we talked, I think, during Princess and the Frog, I don't think it had even been announced yet. Because I think, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, you know, during Princess and the Frog, we, I, talk, I talked about there was a really good interview. Another podcast did an interview with them uh, that, that was a really good interview. And um, it, it seemed like they were wrapping their, their career up. You know, they they were they're writing a retrospective, you know, book and, you know, it was all done. And now now here comes this eighth movie. So um, anyway, maybe we'll have to have a special edition of our show where we review that one after it comes out. Just to see just to see if it matches up with their uh, with their others. I mean, uh, the thing is, like, other than The Little Mermaid and Aladdin, none of their other movies have been our favorites. Right. Most of them have been fair to Midland. Treasure right. Planet, I think, is probably the one we disliked the most out of all of their seven. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing that makes them interesting, though, is their longevity, their consistency. Uh, I mean, you're right. Like, they're not none of <laughs> they're not our favorite movies, you know, of the ones in the canon. But there's no other uh, director or director team that has done as much. You know. Not over 30 years or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you had... A, Maybe the nine old men. Yeah, which is a little different. You know, right. like they made the movies so differently. There's nine of them, <laughs> you know? Right, right. Uh, Wolfgang Reiterman. Yeah, who was one of the nine. And after Disney died, kind of took the helm. And so he did several. But yeah, I associate him with all the, the Xerox movies in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but he'd be the only one who's even in their league. But it's interesting because you you never hear Clements and Musker talked about in the same terms as the Nine Old Men or even Reiterman, you know? Sure. Yeah. Or may, maybe maybe you do, but I don't. Well, <laughs> I, I, I haven't heard them talk that way. You and I are the only ones who I hear talk about any of this stuff. <laughs> and I, I wonder if I wonder if that might be because they don't have a like a style that carries across all those movies. Mm-hmm. All those movies are very different. Yeah, like there's nothing in the Great Mouse Detective that would suggest the Little Mermaid to me, for example. Yeah, Little Mermaid and Aladdin are both part of the Renaissance, so you can see that the kind of similarities there. But Hercules has such a, a, a distinct, distinct style. Treasure Planet isn't like anything else. I guess it's kind of like the Great Mouse Detective in that it's vaguely Victorian. 
Princess and the Frog isn't like anything else, really. I guess it has some things in common with the Renaissance pictures. And then Moana, like I said, feels like an improvement on The Little Mermaid. Um, but that might just be because they're both set on the ocean. I don't. I don't think, in terms of the actual visual style, they don't. They don't have that much in common, do they? Right. Yeah. They're really. They're not. They're definitely not of the uh, the auteur style. You know, like they're they're studio guys. They work right. for the studio, and they crank out whatever style the Disney studio style is at the time. You know, and I, I mean, I think there is a thread of of Disney style, um, much less so once. I mean, especially by this point, once you get the computer animated age, I feel like it, they're, they're, I mean, we've, we've discussed it, you know, the contrast between Disney and, and DreamWorks, for example. So there, there is still a house style of a sort, but it's different than, it's definitely different than it was in like the nine old men era, you know? Right. Or even the, even the Disney Renaissance, the other animated movies that are coming around around those times, nobody's going to confuse those with, Disney movies. On the other hand, I mean, I, I think certainly I don't think most people could tell you the difference between a Disney movie and a Pixar movie. Like if you, if you named one, would they be able to tell you if it was Disney or Pixar? Right. And I, yes. I figure if you threw in something from DreamWorks in the last five or six years, I, I would I would suspect most people would get that wrong as well. Yeah. Because oh, they absolutely. are getting a little bit more generic. Absolutely. I mean, uh, generic's not the right term. They're 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 reaching a similar level of quality in all the studios. Yeah, there's there's parody or something. Yeah, parody. That's parody. A good word. But the uh, I yeah, I just from personal experience, I know you're right. I, it's not like I go around with a T-shirt that says I'm a podcaster, but like when I when it does come up that I do do this podcast, people often will say, "Oh, have you done such and such a movie?" And I have to be like, "No, that's not actually a Disney movie." You know, Pe- people don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is fine. Oh you yeah. Know. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I, I don't mean that it's not fine. I'm just I'm just saying that that to to your point, you know, like my my real world example of of your point of people don't know the difference. Right. I'm not sure it's something worth knowing in a lot of ways. It's crucial. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm nothing without my podcast. <laughs> so here's a uh, here's a question. Do you think Moana has more in common with the Disney Renaissance movies um, with with whom it shares a name, kind of, right? Or do you think it has more in common with the 2010s movies? Because I, I think in some ways Moana is a, a bridge between those two different styles. If it were a full 2010s movie, they'd have to call it Hooked or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I do feel like it it feels like a bit of a throwback to the the Renaissance era, but with some of the, uh, I feel like it's matured, you know, past the, past the Renaissance era a little bit. Like, I feel like you mean by that, by, by matured. Well, I think there's a little more emotional depth. I think we went through that whole phase of, you know, tangled and, uh, what were the, uh, Tangled and Frozen, and uh, we talked about en- Enchanted. Is that the name of that movie? Yeah, yeah, Enchanted. Um, and kind of the the deconstruction of Disney by Disney. This you doesn't know? feel like a deconstruction. No, but it feels like they've gone through that. Yeah, they, and they make some that. jokes about it, right? Like, she denies that she's a princess. Right. And he says, oh, you're a princess. Which actually are the parts of the movie that I feel the least good about. Yeah. 
because I feel like the rest of the movie, they're beyond it. And that feels like a little bit of like going working backwards. Yeah, they have to uh, they have to address this thing that I think very few people are probably hoping that they're going to address. Right. Like, who so, cares? Yeah. Yeah. But, so I mean, I even think... even with that, there's a a deconstruction, right? Because they 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 talk about or uh, Maui says if you wear a dress and have an animal sidekick, you're a princess. But she doesn't really have an animal sidekick. She has an actual animal that follows <laughs> her around and acts more or less the way an animal would act. Yeah. <laughs> very. <laughs> yeah. A very uh, providential sort of animal, though. You know, comes through. A holy fool. Yeah, comes through in exactly the right the right moments. So. What does the villager say? He he seems to he seems to lack the basic intelligence <laughs> to do almost anything. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so that's a deconstruction too. But in in that case, it's not as it's not as fourth wall breaking. It's not as winking at the camera. Right. Yeah. So I think in that way, yeah, in that way, it feels like an updated, an updated sort of uh, version of the Renaissance films. What it, what it holds with the teen films, I feel like, um, is that it's, it's a, very cinematic you know mm-hmm. like i yeah. feel like modern movies modern action movies in particular have a certain beat and a way of going about them you know an editing style a, a shot style all that sort of stuff that that the disney movies fit into just fine you know There's, right and, and we've reached the the height of animation and i'm not sure there's really going to be anywhere to go beyond this you know like right. at this point, it's not a giant step over the last couple of movies in terms of the animation, in terms of the shots. Right. But I'm, I'm just not sure there's a whole lot more they can do. Yeah. Well, there's a uh, so yeah. There's there's some Japan there's a Japanese artist named Satoshi Khan. He's like a pretty pretty big name in the anime world, and he really pushes the editing and the the um, switching from. From thing to th- from frame to frame, uh, in a way that really only animation can do. I mean, if you were to do it in live action, it would be so hard, because he can because it's a drawing, he can draw th- things in the exact s- same, you know, place within the frame in a way, and that but change the background completely or change you know like like transition between things in in like extremely rapid ways like like as fast as the brain can think almost, you know, like it's, it's almost, it's, uh, it's a bit, um, disorienting, honestly, like it's, it's right at the threshold, you know? Can you give me a movie I should see, I should watch to see him do this? Uh, yeah, the name of it is, uh, Millennium Actress. Okay. Is really good. He's got some other ones I'm not as familiar with, but Millennium Actress is a good, good example. And he plays, he shifts, um, like in time. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's a little difficult to keep up with, honestly. Like it's a challenging movie, and I feel like that's something that animation can still do that live action can't. But it's not something that I feel like Disney is interested in doing. Yeah, like, yeah, I feel yeah. like Disney is interested in pushing cinematography or or filmmaking in that in that way, but just 
in response to, you know, I don't know if there's another place they can go. Like there's, there's more that they could potentially do that would be experimental, but I feel like they're very comfortable right now making a movie that just feels like a, a movie. Right. Right. I guess what I meant is there's, there's nowhere else they can go in the direction that they've been going. Yes. I think they, I, mean, they, they do have, they, they do play with animation here too. Like the, all the stuff with uh, Maui's tattoos, for example, that seems right out of, Hercules, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't mean there's there's nothing else they could do. There's just nothing else they could do in the direction they've been going. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that. Which is fine. I mean, the that's the uh I mean when when we get to uh Raya in you know a couple months here, like I feel like Raya is as far as you could possibly go in that direction. Like it just, mm. it like Raya just, it just, it, it feels exactly like any other action movie. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I mean that in, in an agreement with you is like they've pushed it, they've pushed animation all the way to the point where it is, you know, frame for frame the same as what a live action movie would be. Well, no, I mean, part of that is that quote unquote live action movies, especially live action action movies, are now heavily computer generated. That's also true. Yeah. So, yeah. So they're just kind of met in the middle. Yeah. It is weird to, I mean, we've talked about this when we, when we watched some of those Renaissance movies. And I, I remember being just blown away by the 3D effects in them. And you look back at it, and it's like, oh my gosh, that looks so crappy. And I mm-hmm. wonder, I mean, here we are saying they're not going to be able to take it any further. I wonder if, if 15 years from now, we'll look at, um, we'll look at Moana and Ryan and the last Raya and the last dragon and say, oh, you know, <laughs> how primitive. Right. Yeah, no, yeah, that's true. Well, and th- I mean, the, the reality is that movie it, movies are constantly changing, you know. I mean, you can see that in any of the. Uh, I mean, goodness gracious, you can see it in the Marvel films, you right. know. Like right. watch, uh, you know, um, uh, Thor: Love and Thunder next to Thor. <laughs> you right. know, like they're, they're very, very different. Like, like I, I don't know. Like things, things are progressing extremely rapidly. Um, in a certain direction. And I, I imagine at some point there'll be a, you know, some sort of pendulum swing. Well, and you, you, you kind of had it right. Like the, um, the Dr. Strange movies are very surreal in terms of the way they use their effects. So they're, they're doing something other than just, uh, realism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it, they, they call the attention to themselves as effects in a way that most of those Marvel movies don't, you're supposed to forget that you're not looking at a human being. Right. Yeah. Anyway, we should get yeah. back to Moana, a movie um, I like very much, uh, like very, very much on almost every level. Yes. I think this is I think this is one of the greats. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're uh, if I could try a, try to do a professional style segue, the areas where Moana is is pushing the the boundaries that we're talking about that like just in surprising ways or things that we've not seen in animation before would be like anytime the water kind of peels back, (laughs) you know, like in the, in the, in the beginning when Moana is a, is a baby um, and the water, you know, is, is pulling the, the tide is pulling back so that she can walk, you know, it's drawing her deeper and deeper in and you, you can see, you know, it's just so crystal clear and you can see the, 
the, the sea turtles and, and stuff swimming around. Like, it's just, it's very, very beautiful and very, yeah. like, not something that we've seen before. And then they do it kind of again in a different way at the end. That, you know, she parts the water. Um, very Moses-like. The the whole the whole thing with the lava monster. Um, what is the what is the uh, uh, I've forgotten Tefiti. the Hawaiian name. Tafiti is the uh, is oh Taka I think Taka yeah Tafiti yeah. is it is is the island when it's a when it's covered in flowers and Taka mm-hmm. is the lava monster. Yeah, I right. like that. That was amazingly well done. How <laughs> how human they were able to make this thing look and how horrifying and how fluid its motions were. Yeah, I mean that 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 was really incredibly animated. Yeah. The scene, I feel like this was practiced for uh, Avengers uh, Infinity War. The the scene where she has the dream that her entire island turns into ash. Yeah. I thought that was really incredibly well done, but looking back at it now, it's like, oh, maybe <laughs> maybe Thanos just snapped his fingers. Yes, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. That is very similar. Yeah. This is pre-Avengers, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, what, 2016? Yeah. So, yeah, and that's the thing I think about Disney in this moment that's really good is, like, when I say, like, they're they're doing the same thing as live action, I don't mean it in a way of, like, they're they're chasing something. Like, they really seem like... You know, we talked about this with Big Hero 6. Like, Big Hero 6 really felt like it was laying the groundwork for what Marvel is going to do moving forward in a lot of ways, you know? And this this movie, likewise, you know? Like, there's... I feel like it's not chasing something, you know? Like, it might be of the moment. Like, it might be very of 2016, but it's not, like, you know... It's not chasing... It's not... It's not. It doesn't feel like 2012 and 2016. You know. No, yeah, I agree. And when and you think about like what was going on in those in the dark age, the age of near misses or whatever we decided to call it, that's exactly what was happening, right? They were watching other people do things and then trying to do them. And Moana doesn't feel like that, nor does it feel like the live action movies do. The 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 live action remakes do, where they're just trying to recapture something from the past and hope you'll pay for it again. Mm-hmm. It, it it does feel like they're doing something new that is also very connected with their past in a way that doesn't feel derivative. Uh, which is, I mean, what else what else could you ask for from a from an animated movie, you know? Right. It's something that does break some new ground technologically, visually. It's something that tells a story that I've never heard told before. Not I mean, certainly these Polynesian myths are not familiar to me at all. Mm-hmm. And it and it does it with one eye on the past and one eye on the future. It really like it's it's very very good. Right. It's it's called wayfinding, Michael. That's it's true. not it's not just sails and knots. It's That's seeing true. where you're going in your mind, knowing where you are by knowing where you've been. Well, and and there too, the comparison with the Little Mermaid, I think, is so important here because the the Little Mermaid has this message that becomes um, dominant in children's movies, right? Like, follow your heart, be yourself, you know, dream your dream, and Moana kind of has that, 
kind of, except it's so much more complicated than that. And it like ultimately you, you could say that's the message of Moana. You could also say the message of Moana is respect your ancestors, like have mm-hmm. piety towards your ancestors. Or you could say that it's do what's best for your community, even if it's difficult. Right. And I actually, yeah. Like, how many children's movies uh, are there where the message is have piety towards your ancestors? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's a very complicated, in a in a good way, <laughs> you know, like message. Like, I feel like it's it's the story Moana has to. It's her story arc is yeah. trying to fit these things together in a way that's not neat. And I like it. Like, um, as you know, as we were watching. My my oldest daughter, she knows I'm preparing for the podcast, so she's throwing little things at me, like, you know, um, and it's it's great. So I want to say I want to say one that's kind of off this topic, but like on the Polynesian cultures thing, um, she recommended uh, Call It Courage, which is a Newbery uh, winner. Um, I don't remember what year it won the Newbery. I've read it before, but I I don't have the details of it in my mind. But she's just read it recently, and so she was like, "Oh, Call It Courage," you know. There's a the uh, they they talk about Maui's fish hook, and you know they, he has to leave the island to prove that he's a man and stuff, and and sail over the barrier reef. And so, anyway, she my my daughter recommends Call It Courage. Um, but the uh, the other thing that she was throwing out, she's like, I feel like this is kind of contradictory to its other movies. Like in Lion King, like he's not supposed to run away. Like he's supposed to like stay and be king. Right. Right. You know? And here she's like supposed to stay and be chief, but like also not, you know? Right. It's like, and, and for her, she's like trying to figure that out. Like, what is it? Like, what is the message? But for me, I'm thinking, you know, actually it's, that's what she has to do is she has to integrate both of these things. That's like, right. like being the chief in her case, doing what's best for a community actually does mean leaving. Right, right. For, uh, in, uh, for, a, for a period of time, but it's not exactly leaving on a journey of self-discovery either. She leaves because her people need her to leave and to find the solution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, personal discovery ends up being part of it. But it's it's not Ariel wanting to go and be part of somebody else's world. She knows the world she's supposed to be part of. She knows what her calling is. She's just figuring out how best to do it, which it's I just think it's it's very unusual for a modern children's movie to be this focused on what she owes to her family and her, and the people around her. Yeah. As opposed to to seeing her family as a as a roadblock. You'll mm-hmm. remember when um, when Deacon Gradonis was on this show. Uh, to talk about uh, to talk about Lilo and Stitch, he said that this was a a variation of the Junior Knows Best plot, and I, I see what he's getting at because it does have that structurally in common with the Little Mermaid, where um, she has to go against her father, but she's not like she goes against her father not by following her heart; she goes against her father by listening to her grandmother. Yes, right. Like so, so this isn't Junior Knows Best; it's Ancestors Know Best. And, and mm-hmm. you know, you can you can have a complaint about that. And I suppose if I were a father, I still wouldn't love a movie that encouraged my daughter not to listen to me. But like, I, I think it's much more complex than a junior knows best plot. Yes. With all with all due respect to Deacon Gridana. Right. Of course. But her island is literally dying and her, right, and right. her father is not able so this is a this is a thing that I think is also really interesting in this movie is uh, Moana has two 
male figures in her life, uh, her dad and Maui, who have both experienced grief um, and are dealing with it in completely different ways. Uh, so her dad, you know, he tried to leave. Um, he felt the call of the ocean. He did. It's not clear why he was leaving, you know, like if it was self-discovery or why. It doesn't really matter. But he left and took his friend and his friend dies. Right. And so his response to his own grief is, I will not let I will protect. I won't let anybody else ever feel this way. So no one leaves the island, you know. And then Maui experiences his his grief and trauma. Um, and his response is is more. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to run away from all the pain by just, you know, doing whatever's good for me, <laughs> you know? And then, so Moana has to kind of, uh, she has to figure out her own way to deal with, with her grief, you know, and what she's going through. Like she has to kind of forge her own path based on these two kind of opposing diametrical responses to grief. Yeah. I like that. And, and I mean, her, her voyage begins with, grief right in the fact in the in that her grandmother dies mm-hmm. right at the beginning although she doesn't really seem to grieve her all that much to be fair i guess she has other things to think about yeah well and i think that's where this movie that's where i think this movie has a little more emotional depth because i do feel like it's it's under the surface in a way uh-huh. you know like the way like like the journey is real you know like, I'm not saying, like, the journey is all just, like, this big analogy or or something, you know? Like, but I feel like there is a, there is a certain sense that, you know, you could, you could find ways to piece it together, you know? Like, she does, like, she, I think it is very poignant that she starts with, you know, the moment that her grandma dies, you know? It's the moment that she leaves. Like, there, there is something deeply symbolic about that. Right. Right. Where yeah, so that that her going out there is the fulfillment of her grandmother's life in some way. Yeah, and yet at the same time, like her father is not not presented as unreasonable. Um, the way King Triton is right. King Triton doesn't let Ariel leave because he has rules and he expects them to be obeyed. Mm-hmm. That's not Moana's father. He has reasons for making the rules he makes, even if we see them as limited rules, and even if she sees them as limited rules, she was always coming back. Right. Yeah. He's short-sighted or something. I mean, he's like, uh, I don't know, I feel like he's he's a very interesting character, because there is a, there is a nobility to him, mm-hmm. and uh, you do want to root for him, but at the same time, he's not a believer. You know, like he doesn't he, he doesn't have ambition. He wants things to stay as they always have been. Except right. what we find out is they haven't always been that way. And so there's a sense in which Moana is moving toward the future by going even further back in the past. Yeah. Yeah. But is, again, a, a weirdly conservative message for this era of Disney. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here for it. I, am I mean, after after everything we complained about in Zootopia, you know, Moana is very much about the nature of things. Yeah, but again, like it's, and I think the no, the nobleness of him is that he's he's trying to protect, 
but he's protecting in a in a fake way and you know or like i mean not on his own like he's in an unsustainable way unsustainable yes that's a much better word for it because i mean even at the beginning you know like i mean you could say that the grandma is being the village crazy lady and taking it a bit too far with her message to the to the tots (laughs) about um you know how uh inescapable death is coming for all of us um she's not wrong (laughs) but maybe not the right message for the kids you know this is why they don't let me address the second graders at my school (laughs) but then um you know uh so you could make that argument but he takes it all the way to the other side you know like there is no darkness this is paradise we're fine you know like there's problems here too you know like he's you know he's he's overprotective right unsustainably i like i like that word unsustainably when you you see how you see how unparadisical their island is at the end when all the flowers come back you know when it actually becomes a new garden of eden mm-hmm. and you, you see how little they were living with before yeah so yeah i mean i i just i really i really really like this movie um, and in, fa- in fact, there's only a couple things I don't like, which I'll mention now, and then we can come back to the things we do like so that we're not ending on something negative. Okay. I, I think the main actress, um, I can't pronounce her name, um, Aloui Cravalho, I, I don't think she's very good. I, I, I think, I don't think she, she can handle the kind of heaviness of the story in terms of her acting. Mm-hmm. And, and it really sticks out because everybody else in the movie, including, bizarrely, Nicole Scherzinger, um, everybody else is really good. And which one is ahead. Nicole? Which one is uh, Nicole? She's the mother. So it's not okay, a very okay. large part. But Nicole okay. Scherzinger was in the Pussycat Dolls. Like I, I don't, I, I don't think of her as a great actress. Let me put. It. Yeah. I suspect they, as they were getting every other Hollywood actor and actress with Polynesian uh, DNA, they they got Nicole Scherzinger too. Okay. Oh, and then also Alan Tudyk. <laughs> not Polynesian, but right, to be he fair, he's playing a chicken. So, yeah. <laughs> and then number two, you know, I I really like Hamilton. I, I'm kind of underwhelmed by this soundtrack. I don't know. I don't know about you. Okay, here's yeah. All right, so uh, let me respond to both those. Yeah, yeah. So the first it. one, I didn't notice. I didn't notice uh, the that Moana. You're talking about the the actress who plays Moana. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I didn't notice that that she couldn't carry it. There's a couple times where I'm wondering about Dwayne the Rock Johnson carrying what Maui's doing. Yeah, but some that, of his heavier stuff. But the uh, the thing that that saves him, and I got this from Lin Manuel Miranda, so this will this will transition right into in the kind of behind the scenes stuff. Lin Manuel Miranda talked about how. Dwayne the Rock Johnson is so charming that he can say yes. literally anything and people yep. agree with it. And, and, and so, in that sense, he's the perfect perfect person to play Maui because however vile Maui behaves, right? Like he does terrible things in this movie. Yeah. Because it's Dwayne the Rock Johnson, you you love him. Yeah, it works. So I'll 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 agree with Lynn Manuel on that one. Yeah, he's he's gotta be like one of the four or five most charming people alive. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Right. And Lin-Manuel would be another one. That's probably true. Those four or five. Okay, so I'm, I, I, obviously I'm a huge Lin-Manuel Miranda fan. Maybe that's not obvious, but to those who know me. Um, I think uh, the soundtrack is really good. 
the part, as long as we're talking about parts that we don't like, I feel like uh, Shiny doesn't work. <laughs> Have you ever watched... I, I agree, Shiny doesn't work. Have you ever watched um, Flight of the Concords? I have not, no. Okay, because the guy from Flight of the Concords plays the crab. Okay. And Shiny sounds like a Flight of the Concords song. It's a very okay. successful, like, Flight of the Concords homage. Okay. Um, I don't I don't like the song either, but I think that's why it sounds so different from everything else, because it, it, it very much sounds like something Jermaine Clement would have written. Right. Himself. And maybe he maybe he had a hand in it. It uh, I feel like it drags <laughs> it drags the soundtrack down uh-huh. a little bit. And I hate that because it's got some very Lynn Manuel Miranda type break the fourth wall cleverness to it. Uh-huh. Um, but it just doesn't feel like it fits in this movie to me, you know? And I don't really particularly like it as a song, but I also like, I feel like it, it feels a little stapled in. Oh, look at that. It definitely feels out of place with the rest of the soundtrack, which is so overwhelmingly sincere. Which is, I guess, Lin-Manuel Miranda's thing, or one of his things anyway. Yeah. So uh, to To me, the main song, How Far I'll Go, it's a good song. It just, it sounds very much like it was left over from Hamilton. And maybe I'm just complaining that Lin-Manuel Miranda has a distinctive style. Maybe that's not a fair complaint. But like the the main the main hook in that song, the it, it it calls me or whatever it is. Yeah. Is Eliza. It's the it's the same vocal. <laughs> like I'm driven to distraction by that every time I hear the song, which is otherwise a, a moving song. I think that's clearly the best song in the movie. So maybe that's why I like it so much is because because it's like that. I'm, I might just be complaining that he has a recognizable style. And it's not like anybody in this movie is rapping, at least not that I can remember. But in terms of the in terms of the the sung parts, it, it the, the parts that are really good feel left over from Hamilton. And there are parts that aren't really good. Right. So. um I'm trying to I'm scrolling genius while you're talking, which is never a good idea. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I'm trying to find, you know, I'm an editor on genius, Josh. Who knows I do I go in and I, I do know that I don't do anything with it anymore because I'm too busy to spend an hour a day on that website like I used to. Um, I just I they've updated it or something. I find it very difficult to yeah, the new, uh, navigate. The new page view is ugly. I agree. They didn't ask my opinion. You'll be surprised to learn. I can't believe it. Okay, but the song that I'm trying to find, what's this, the song that she sings with her grandma, like her ghost grandma? <laughs> um, is it is that I am Moana, Moana? Song of the Ancestors? Yes. Okay, I don't. I cannot hear anything bad about this song. No, that's I, a good song. I love this song. And, and, it and when she me. sings I am Moana, like I get it. Like it's it's calibrated perfectly to to sweep over you and make you weep. Which I did. I cried at that song. Yeah, well, and it's it, it's it's bookended because Grandma Tala, who plays her, I don't even know. Um, she Rachel she, House. Okay. Rachel House sings in this like very haunting way at the beginning as a ghost as she should and it's like 
you know how like when you hear somebody's voice crack a little bit like an emotional way it just for me at least when i hear somebody like like if they're speaking genuinely and they're and they're starting to get emotional and their voice cracks a little bit my empathy levels just go up to like a million right sure, like i'm sure. i'm like with them and she sings that whole first verse in that style like her voice is kind of cracking and like emotional like straight off the bat so i'm already like it's getting dusty in the house already right and then <laughs> And then, but but then Moana comes in with the strong voice, and it's just I I whatever I don't care if this is a leftover melody from Hamilton or whatever it is so good like it's just the way he writes these melodies that just like stack and build and build and build to to their climax is like if that's his one trick like good for him like it's yeah just, fair it's, enough. I love Maybe it. I'm just looking for something to complain about in a movie I, that I otherwise I, admire. Yeah. When she gets to the call isn't out there at all, it's inside me. Oh my goodness. I've already lost it. I guess. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> the, the, um, the, the actress who, who plays Moana, like her singing voice is incredible. So like anything I'm saying about her acting has nothing to do with her ability to sing the, the songs, which she, she does expertly, obviously. And for, yeah. for her to be 15 years old or whatever, when she's singing it, incredible yeah so yeah so so good i will admit so i actually so i was so high on hamilton well first of all we should we should uh talk timeline a little bit so lin-manuel miranda gets hired to do moana in spring of 2014 he does the the hamilton white house thing in like what 2012 or something, something like that, that yeah. you know what i'm talking about the like where he like just i mean all he has written for hamilton at that point is like the opening i am you know alexander hamilton song right yeah and and he doesn't tell anybody who he's talking about and when he says alexander hamilton everybody laughs yeah yeah it's an incredible youtube video if you haven't seen it go go find it but you know just lin-manuel miranda white house i think that's like 2012 so then like 2014 he's hired to do moana Hamilton is at that point still off Broadway, still not even really a full like I think he's still calling it like the Hamilton mixtape at that point. It doesn't hit Broadway until August of 2015. Wow. So he and, was not chosen to do this because of Hamilton. Right, exactly. Huh. So he becomes a phenomenon before this movie comes out. <laughs> you know? I mean, he's already won it. I think he won Tony's and stuff for in the Heights. So it's not like he's a not known quantity. But like he's not Lin Manuel Miranda yet. <laughs> when, they, when they choose him, but he is when by the time the movie him. comes out. But yes, yeah, so then the movie comes out in 2016. So by that time, everybody's already memorized the entire Hamilton soundtrack. I mean, everybody, everybody named Josh Allman. <laughs> Victoria Reynolds Farmer too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so then, I know he's doing Moana. I'm super excited. I listened to the soundtrack and I will admit that I was a little underwhelmed right. on, on the first, you know, few listens through. Like it did it. Uh, can you imagine having to follow that though? Right. He, he was smart to take all these film things and do, he was in Mary Poppins Returns instead yeah. of trying to do another Broadway follow up. Right. By the way. But that's the weird thing is it's not actually a follow. It's like a simultaneous, like he's right. doing this while he's still polishing Hamilton. So it, to me, it makes total sense that like 
there's like parallel harmonies and and parallel like you know words and stuff like that you know because like it it actually was written kind of in parallel and then it comes and then it comes out afterwards but i think you know there's something about the music of all these movies where it's enhanced by the visuals of the movie and by the story of the movie, you know? So listening to the soundtrack in isolation isn't, isn't really the full experience, the way you're supposed to experience the way it's written to be experienced, you know? And so I feel like in the movie, it's much stronger. Other than shiny. (laughs) Yeah. Shiny. Yeah. Shiny really doesn't fit with the rest of the, the soundtrack, I think it's self-evidently the weakest song. Yeah. But again, I think that's, it's, it, it is, he wrote it. I mean, um, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote it, but it is, it is much more of a Jermaine Clement song. Yeah. So anyway, I feel like that whole part of the movie, like it's kind of like a second MacGuffin. You yeah. Know? It doesn't need to be there. On the other hand, like the animation in that with all the, um, all the iridescence, yeah it's kind of cool it's kind of cool you know it's a it's an homage to pink elephants on parade yeah i can see that what what do they call it on tv tropes the disney acid sequence yeah the one in this movie so let's go back to stuff we really like so uh maui's song you're welcome yes perfectly calibrated to dwayne the rock johnson who loves to sing as, as anybody who's ever watched him on SNL knows. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he's pretty good. I mean, yeah. he's kind he's of a, he's sick. He's a good singer. He's sickeningly, sickeningly good, right? Like, there's certain people where it's like, okay, you're already good at, like, X, Y, Z. Do you really have to be good at ABC, too? You know? <laughs> you're talking about your next president, buddy. <laughs> anyway, I mean, good for him, you know? Good for him. I don't mean to be that petty. It's just... Anyway, <laughs> the animation sequence in that too, though, is amer- is amazing. You know, it's it's the it's that kind of classic Disney. You know, like uh, I just can't wait to be king, where they like yeah. totally, you know, they totally switch up the animation style, right. do and something do totally different. Yeah. Well, it's not just his tattoos. It's like the 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 brightly colored waves of of stuff, and it's like this like very flat animation you know like moana and uh maui are still their you know cgi selves but everything around them becomes like kind of papery flat but like with like a shadow too you know um yeah it's a great it's a great sequence yeah i think that's uh eric goldberg i believe oh really yeah i know that i know for sure that he did all the like tattoo stuff so like the tattoo is all like more traditionally animated like every time they zoom in on the little guy Right, that's right. all more like traditional animation. And so I, I know that's for sure Eric Goldberg. I think, though, it makes sense to me that I think he also did the song. Because that's that's just kind of his wheelhouse, you know? Yeah. Did he do I Just Can't Wait to Be King? I don't know if he did I Just Can't Wait to Be King. I'd have to look that up. The last time we talked about him was uh, the sequence in, in Winnie the Pooh. The chalkboard sequence. He did that one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. So, he's one that's like survived. You know, the transition from two D to three D. But he seems to have survived mostly by continuing to do two D style animation. Yeah, within the three D movies. So. 
kind of interesting. But yeah, I, what I love about that song too is like, you know, Maui's giving her all these gifts, and then at the end, he, you know, throws her and locks her in the cave, and it turns out like, you know, like when once you once you leave that highly stylized <laughs> animation style and come back to our quote unquote real world, like he's just handed her a bunch of rocks and sticks and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I also love the word the wordplay. I know it's cheap and and a pun, but like it's just so perfect. Like he's saying you're welcome, and then he says, "Well, come to think of it, <laughs> the welcome." Oh man, so good. Yeah, uh, that 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 is a that is a great performance, and and I don't know how many people know that knew that Dwayne the Rock Johnson likes to sing. But every time he ever hosted SNL, they, uh, he always demanded to sing a song, and he'd sing these like big band numbers. Mm-hmm. And you know, part of it is it's just funny because he's so enormous. Yeah, I think Maui is actually a little bit smaller than him. <laughs> <laughs> so Maui is interesting. He's kind of like he's he's definitely um, in the like trickster archetype. Uh huh. Um. And I think that's true in the Polynesian originals too, but definitely in this, in this movie, in this movie, for sure he is. I, I, I like you don't know much about the Polynesian original stuff, but in this movie, he's for sure that, and I feel like that actually, so like the, those, you know, the trickster type, like they're kind of, um, they're, uh, what they're, they break boundaries. They cross boundaries. They do things that aren't like socially acceptable, right. <laughs> you know. And like, I think in a in a lot of stories, they're used in a way to you know subvert uh, authority and and norms and stuff like that. But they're also there as kind of like a uh, a way to pass between worlds, you know. Like they they kind of inhabit the spiritual world and our world, you know. And they're kind of a door between them. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and even just the, the the term demigod, right? That he's halfway between God and human. Right. And I feel like that's actually a really crucial another point in this movie as to why it works at a deeper level than than like the Little Mermaid. So you know what you mean? I mean like uh so Ariel doesn't have a trickster god working with her. <laughs> <laughs> right well, unless you count sebastian uh yeah <laughs> i don't <laughs> i don't i feel like sebastian fits some sort of other archetype he's like the uh i don't know what is sebastian he's the he's like the uh the nanny or something you know um the surrogate parent <laughs> yeah yeah no he's not a trickster archetype. there's no trickster in in yeah so um so because she has this like trickster god with her she's forced to confront things that she wouldn't necessarily confront otherwise i think like she's um she's got to uh not just leave her world behind you know, like we were talking about earlier, like Ariel leaves her world behind, but like she does have to do that. She has to leave her world behind, but then she has to also face this whole other kind of mythical realm just because he's there. 
you know like and so then like once you're in the world of like mythology you've like entered this deeper symbolic realm but she literally enters at the end of the movie because she becomes a tattoo on maui yes yeah she doesn't become a demigod but she is like she is part of that story in a real way right it's almost actually so we have talked about this before but we always talk about it in you know the uh in in uh little mermaid in particular i think we talked about this at the time she's living in the mythical world and she enters our world and this is like and that's kind of fun and kind of like an interesting like twist on things but like this is like the more like deeper folk tale thing that humans have been like telling stories about from the dawn of time right like where the human falls into the enchanted world right and then has to deal with that and i feel like just the fact that she's doing that makes this movie deeper because it like somehow it somehow like brings all those like archetypes to bear yeah, in a very I, I i think this is much more of a fairy tale yeah, the last few things we've looked at from—I mean, the last twenty years of what we've looked at from them. Yeah. So I think his presence in the movie is crucial in that way because she's she's really dealing with uh, that inner struggle we talked about already. You know, about like what what should I? What's the best way for me to, you know, do what's right? You know, and to deal with that, you really have to go to. Uh, you know, you have to, if you're going to do some soul searching in a kid's movie, you know, like, how are you going to do it? You know, you've got to, she's got to go to some deeper place. And I feel like, deeper. yeah. Right. I mean, she, she goes, she enters the underworld. She goes, uh-huh. there's that wonderful scene where he jumps into the whirlpool and like five seconds later yells, I'm still falling. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then she jumps in after him. So, and he even says, "Like no human would do this," you know. Right, right. And that's I feel a, like that's all part. Like I just, I don't know. I feel like it's hard to talk about, and it's almost like it's just like the movie just works, you know. Like it's like you don't have to think about this stuff in a in a like you don't have to verbalize it. Almost, you know, like the movie works on you in such a way like even if you're not even thinking about all that stuff or not aware of all that stuff like it's just what makes a good movie a good movie is because it's drawing on all that stuff but it's just kind of washing over you in a way does that make sense uh-huh yeah like i think that's what like good art does in some ways yeah i think that's a i think that's a good reading yeah, Makoto uh, Fujimura. I don't know if I've mentioned him on the show before or not. He's a, a, one of my favorite artists, and he's also an author. And he writes about this exact phenomenon in his book. Uh, it's called On Culture Care, uh-huh. and he talks about artists as being those border stalkers. He doesn't tie it to the trickster image exactly, but like, um, so I'm 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 adding that reading myself. But like, he uses that same sort of language of border stalkers and. He also talks about like the the places of like the most like the most generative places, uh, like in the in the biosphere are like like estuaries, you know, where you have 
freshwater and saltwater like intermingling and you have the you know those borders and like they're, they're very rich and so he talks about like that's kind of the role of an artist in our world is to be like kind of on that border and and uh and to draw like different uh things together and it's a, it's a very generative act it, it like it creates flourishing by doing that and so um yeah, it's I think the Celts who talk about thin places where the, yes. the line between this world and the next is is not as clear as it is the rest of the time. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I feel like that's that's kind of what this movie is drawing on a little bit. And like it's what but it's not just like the story is drawing on it. Like, I feel like the movie actually reaches the height where it does that. Like it does these things, you know. It works. It works on you in that sort of way, even if you're just kind of watching it as a popcorn movie. It still, it still kind of moves you in that way, or at least it works on me that way. I mean, I'm not, I'm not speaking like universally. Like everybody will be moved by Moana. I just, I, I just have high praise for it. I was moved by it. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's a terrific movie, and 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 it, I, and again, I, I think it fits in with a lot of these fairy tale archetypes that maybe don't exist in a I'm trying to think of the best way to say this so like Frozen and Tangled they're both based on fairy tales but I don't think those movies themselves are exactly fairy tales in the way this one is mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of how I can defend that position this is a movie that is about the destruction of order through wrongdoing right so the movie gets started because maui steals the heart of tafiki and and destroys the world essentially she he um he takes this earth goddess or whatever tafiki is supposed to be and and empties her out basically he he, right he makes her infertile and then yeah i don't interrupt like I, the one thing I had in my note right here, and then I'm gonna let. Sorry, is just like it's man's original sin. It's like grasping for what you're not supposed to have. Right, right. And and what's what's remarkable, and it's it's the way in which this is. So I mean, that's a that's a Greek myth too, right? It's um, it's uh, Prometheus stealing fire from the gods. Mm-hmm. Prometheus is is famously punished by having the vulture eat his liver forever. Right. What makes this a weirdly Christian movie, and maybe this is there in the Polynesian myth, and maybe it's not. I don't know because I don't know the myth. But what makes it more Christian than Greek anyway is that Maui apologizes, and he's forgiven. <laughs> it's like yeah. actually a fairly easy forgiveness. He, like, he's, not, he's not punished beyond what he's already been through, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and so order gets restored not through... Um, order gets restored by his his asking for forgiveness and and Moana's putting back this artifact where it belongs and and in, in that sense it seems it seems medieval to me it it, it seems like a like a, a world that has been turned topsy turvy and and that the the point of the story is to restore the order that's been destroyed and like I I don't I don't get that feeling watching. Frozen. I don't get that feeling watching Tangled. Mm-hmm. I don't even, for that matter, I don't get that feeling watching Aladdin or um, The Lion King, maybe to some extent. The Lion King does have certain things in common with this. But it's like um, the more the movie is about 
personal self-discovery, the less the movie can be about restoration of natural order. I think. Mm-hmm. And Moana manages to walk that line where you could read this movie either one of those ways and, and both things are actually happening. But the restoration of order is really key in a way that it hasn't been in a Disney movie for a long time. Yeah. I think I think since Lion King. I mean, Lion King definitely has that sort of like who who's ruling affects the right. entire... Yeah, the, fi- the Fisher King archetype. Did we talk about that then? Yeah, we did. Yeah. And you definitely have that here too, right? This is a Fisher King story. And I think I think there you're getting it probably mostly because the Lion King comes from Hamlet and Shakespeare has that kind of medieval imagination for order and mm-hmm. and destruction and stuff like that. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I can't think of a movie since that time that's had that um, that's had that structure. Was that your phone? Yeah, it was. Sorry. You and I have the same text message sound. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm sure that says something about our psychology. Uh, yeah, there's something weird about that, isn't there? <laughs> Usually it's mine going off in the middle of the show. I apologize. Yeah, no, that's fine. So, I mean, you do get this notion that she's been chosen. And this this was on my mind because I watched this. I, I did that Catholic imagination conference that I've been talking about on the main show for the last couple months. And I watched this in the hotel room after giving my, my lecture, which was all about vocation. But... The sense in which this is a movie about self-discovery, it's a movie about vocation, right? That the ocean has called Moana to be this thing. And she goes through this period of doubt uh, because Maui tells her the ocean made a mistake. And she confesses her unworthiness to the ocean, right? Like, you need to Mm -hmm. pick somebody else. I'm not the person for this. And that seems to me, too, to be remarkably Christian, in the sense that your vocation isn't really about how great you are. It's about the humility of being chosen. And her humility in that moment actually makes her even more called to do the things she has to do. It's it's actually a selflessness. I know that she she then sings, I am Moana. Um, but I, I, I think that moment of self-doubt where she confesses her incapacity to do this by herself, I, I really think that's a that's a key moment in the story as well. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I don't think it's undone by the song because, you know, I was thinking, and you know, probably only people like me would think this, but like, you know, there's that great quote from St. Ignatius that the glory of God is a human fully alive. And uh-huh. um, I just, I'm sorry, I thought I silenced this and then it beeped again. I don't understand. Right. I'm just going to turn it all the way off. Okay, so there's that great quote from St. Ignatius, the glory of God as a human being fully alive, which I just love. And um, I feel like that's the point that she's come to at this point. Like she's gone down to the depths, like the literal depths of both her soul. Like she's, she's given up, she's cried, she's pronounced herself unworthy. And then the, the symbolic, I feel like there's so many good symbolic things in this movie. Then she has to dive into the ocean to go back down and get her calling again. You right, know? yeah, that, that canonic, the self-emptying. Yeah, and then she can, but, but I mean, she's, so she jumps as she says, I am Moana, right, I think? Am I say, is, is that right? Is that the moment when she jumps into the water? Uh, I don't remember. You might be right. I think, I think I'm right. It's right around there. Yeah, I think I'm right, because I think she sings the whole song and then jumps. And I don't know now. Now I'm doubting myself, but I think that happens. But anyway, yeah, I just I think it's the 
it's okay that she's saying I am Moana because she has done the self emptying, you know? Yeah. Like, and then she's come she through. She knows who she is because she has emptied herself. Right. And she's she comes full of herself. Right. And she goes all the way through it. And it's, and the, that's why I think that line is so powerful that the call isn't out there at all. It's inside me because it's not external forces, you know, or it's not like this, like external desires or, or whatever that she's, that she's going through. It's like this thing where it's like, it's just part of her, you know, like she's mm-hmm. been like, it's the, the call has become fully integrated in a way. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do this on the fly, which is always dangerous, but you know, like, like I, I love the way that you're doing it. Like the way you're, you're tying it to like our, our spiritual vocation. Like it's obviously God is external to us, but at some point he invites us to make him internal, you know, <laughs> like abide in me as I abide in you, you know, eat my flesh. Like, it's like, he has to, he has to also become internal into us, you know? Or, or even, even beyond that, uh, the call that's made to you is made in the silence of your heart. Right. So of course it feels like it's coming from inside you and in a, in an age of doubt, that gets kind of transformed into you're making this up because it's being spoken to the innermost part of you in, a, in an age that is not naturally respectful of faith. You experience that as the call is coming from you as opposed to to you. Yeah. And, I, and, and that that's just another reason why I think this is such a weirdly conservative movie, because the call's not coming from her. This is not her following her heart. This is her following, like, the deepest part of the universe, which is also tied up with her ancestors. Mm-hmm. It's really, really remarkable. It's It's, like... I, I don't know how many people would have expected that directly after Zootopia. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Zootopia, if Zootopia is the most radical message among all the, the Disney movies we've watched, this, this really might be among the most conservative, certainly the most conservative since the 60s. Yeah. I'm glad to hear your kids love it. I mean, they love it because it's a great movie, not because the the quote unquote message is conservative or whatever. But like, this is the sort of this is the sort of movie I like to think of kids loving because I think yes. it will teach them the proper respect for their own ancestors. Yeah. Well, I think, and that's the thing. It's like I hope by I hope by verbalizing all this. It does enrich the viewing experience for people. Like I always say in our in- introduction, like I hope it enriches the viewing experience. But like, I don't feel like you need us. <laughs> you know, it's definitely, certainly you don't need us. The movie stands on its own, you know? Like you can watch it as a, you know, a six and eight, a 10 or a 12 year old and love it. It's fine. It's yeah, just, I, no, absolutely. So I've got one more thing in my notes. I'm on this kind of, the way this movie is just so perfectly symbolic, but doesn't like beat you over the head with it. Let's hear it. So like the first time she attempts to leave and go over the reef, not, not the very, I mean, obviously there's that montage of her trying to let go as a, as a, as a baby, but like, you know, the first time she goes as like adult Moana, right. Or, or young teenager Moana or whatever she is. 
um, and she she faces the ocean and she gets tossed overboard and um, her foot gets stuck in the reef. And so like being stuck behind this reef is actually going to literally kill her. <laughs> she has to smash the reef to get untrapped and get out of it, you know? And like, I just, I don't know. I, I think it's just so like, it's not beating you over the head with anything, but like, that's, that's the movie, you know, like right, she has, right. she has to go beyond the reef. It will literally kill her to stay. It'll kill her and all her people. To and stay. all her people. I think that's, I think that's the the part you can't let go of here is the, like the, the stakes are not her. The stakes are everyone. Mm-hmm. And she didn't ask for it. It's been like thrust upon her. Yeah. Oh, I really like this movie. I like it even more after we talked about it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, uh, from here on out, there's only one that I have seen. I have seen Encanto. I have not seen the the three movies before it. So, uh, all right, it's all, it's, I'm I'm wide open from here. Yes. Uh, yeah. The next two, we have uh, Ralph breaks the internet, which I have not seen. Then we have Frozen Two, which I have not seen. Uh. And then we're at the end of the teens, Michael. So we're going to have to have a conversation about what we're going to do for that. We are. Yes. Because no, we that always... wasn't a question. That was. Oh, yes. okay. Yes, yes. we are. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, we'll be in the new year. We have Raya and the Last Dragon and Encanto, both of which I have seen and are our favorites in my household. And then by the time we record in March, It'll be Strange World will have been out for a few months oh. at that point. Whether I will have seen it by that point or not, I don't know. And then maybe we're doing a uh, like a final wrap-up show. Yeah, we'll have to do a wrap-up show where we give our we give our complete list, right? We have to we we have to work out each of our. I, I figure what we'll do is instead of actually trying to rank them, we'll do tiers. Right, we'll yeah. do A, B, C, D, F. Right. And and then don't worry about the actual ranking within those tiers, except maybe the A tier. Yeah. But, yeah so we'll, that'll be that'll be after Strange World. And then um, we'll have to figure out what to do. Yeah, then we'll go radio silent for a while, maybe. Yeah, yeah, we might take a few months off while we work it out. So anyway, but I mean, it's coming up fast. I mean, I know we just rolled through a few there, but that's, I mean, that's one, two, three, four, five, six. Six or seven. I guess that's seven more episodes. So it, it feels like the beginning of the end. I guess. Well, well. I think we're. I think we're near the end of the end. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> did we watch Mary Poppins when we did the sixties? We did. Okay, so maybe Mary Poppins Returns would be the smart move. Yeah, the, I, I have teams. that down as I have a. Maybe we should say this out loud so that anybody who wants to chime in, you can email us before they were live at gmail.com what should we talk about at the end of the teens uh i have mary poppins returns down i also have christopher robin down as a potential oh yeah and i kind of like that movie so but there may be others um that that people think would be more appropriate for us to do so um we are open to suggestions we got a couple we got a couple months to figure it out all right well, Michael, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for having it with me. Thank you, as always. It's been fun. Um, our press liaison, Tristan Philippic. We're on the old interwebs at beforetheywere.live and christianhumanist.org. Please help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at 
before they were live at gmail.com. You can tell us what your favorite episode is or your least favorite. You can also tell us what we should what we should do for the end of the teens. We also want to encourage you to set your podcast player's dials to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. We're uh, behind the scenes right now working on our uh, our big crossover event that happens every uh, October, so you can look forward to that. Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on, so thank you for spending the time with us. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Joshua Altman-Chauffer. I'm going to miss you, Drumstick.